All right, good morning again. We're finishing up the book of Ephesians this morning, so if you haven't already, find your way to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And here the last couple of weeks in Ephesians chapter 6, we've been talking about what it means to stand in the Lord. The first part of Ephesians 6, we said we have to stand. We have to stand in that evil day, meaning we are prepared by the work of Christ in our hearts through faith and endurance to stand against the evil one. Last week, we talked about being equipped to stand, being equipped to stand, meaning putting on Christ himself, putting on the armor of God, wearing the person of Christ, who he is and what he has done, and standing faithfully in Christ himself, being equipped to stand. And this morning in Ephesians 6, we are finishing up the book and this topic on standing, and we're going to describe it this way. This is our power to stand. Our power to stand is found in Christ himself, specifically through the power of prayer. Power to stand. The the ability for us to stand in the day of evil, which is today and every day until the day we are with the Lord, is connected primarily to our relationship with God, especially as it is expressed in prayer. So if somebody said to me, what is the one thing I must do to be able to stand in the Lord, the Bible is quite clear. What is it? Pray. That is where our power is to be found. And so in that vein, one of the things I want to do to get us started this morning is I want us to just quickly look at one or two or a dozen prayers in the Bible. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read them and give you the reference. I'm going to read them. If you're able to look them up as fast as I get to them, congratulations. You probably get a badge on your uh, lapel for that. I don't know. But what I'm going to do is just read through a number of different prayers. And the reason I am going to do this is a lot of times we assume prayer in the Bible is a certain kind of thing. And I want to show you by looking at some of the prayers in the Bible, they don't look the way you think they look. Some of the most irreligious prayers in the world are in the Bible. And let me explain why. Psalm 34, verse 1. We'll start with the the churchy prayers to begin with. That way you don't walk out. Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So in Psalm 34, these few verses, we see the psalmist praying to God his greatness. God, I exalt you. You're above everything. And we see this as an expression of prayer. Next, in Psalm 62, verse 1, this is how he prays. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Hear that prayer at the beginning. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Have you ever prayed a prayer and you didn't know what to pray? You didn't feel very Christian-y because you thought all those people in my Sunday school class and my home group, they have these beautiful prayers. They always know how to pray. Well, the psalmist says he sat down next to his bed to pray and didn't have a clue what to pray. I wait for God in what? Silence. Psalm 95, verse 1. Psalm 95, 
verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great, and he is great above all gods. In his depths are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Why are we including this one? Well, it's not for you guys. It's for the people who are camping this weekend. (laughs) Have you ever walked out next to the lake? Or my favorite is Mount Thielson when you make the corner there on Highway 62. And you see it and you go, oh, my lands. You are really good at this, God. And you say, well, that's not a very churchy prayer. No, that is a prayer. God, you're incredible. Look at, and this is something you did in just the palm of your hand. This is the smallest of things. And he praised God for the beauty of his handiwork. We're not even close to being done. Here, stick with me. Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. This guy doesn't know his theology. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Certainly you know your theology. If you're in the Lord, he hears you. Why would you pray such a doubtful prayer? What's wrong with you? Have you ever prayed that prayer before? Usually it's face down. If you've prayed this prayer before, you know what your carpet smells like. Do you even hear me, God? I'm crying here. Are you even there? Anybody ever prayed that prayer before? And you felt like, well, I'm not a very good Christian. This is in the Bible. Don't hide your face from me in my distress, God. Why in my worst hour, God, are you absent? Answer me speedily in the day when I call. I love that. Sometimes we try to pray very religious. God, would you please deliver me from this quandary I'm in? Health, finances, relationship, I don't know, whatever it is. Okay, God, I know. For you, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. All things are done in your time. Okay, I get it. I, no, what does the psalmist say? God, I know you've got your own timetable. I don't like it. Let's get this thing going, God. You say, well, you can't pray to God like that. Okay, tell David. Answer me speedily in the day I'll call. Or Jacob, when he was wrestling with Jesus and he wouldn't let him go, what'd he say? I will let you go when you bless me. That's what praying is like. I will let you go, God, when you say yes and you say yes, not today, but yesterday. Let's get her done. You say, well, that's not very respectful. You're right, God has no idea what's going on in your heart. And as long as you say nice flowery words, very polite and kind, that was sarcasm. We still haven't got the sign made. (laughs) So it brightens up for some of us who, okay. Psalm 109. Remember, just so you know, we're still in the introduction. Buckle in. We'll be done by Memorial Day. (laughs) This is going to rattle your cage. David praying for one of his friends, air quotes around friends, appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. 
May his days be few. And may another person take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the, ru far from the ruins that they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May stranger plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out into the second generation. What do you do with that one? Somebody's had a bad day. You think God doesn't know your need for justice? You think God has no idea how unfairly they treated you? Oh, God bless them. Certainly pray their blessing, certainly. But every now and then, with a full-throated prayer, sometimes it is okay and appropriate to say, God, you decide between them and me. They're wrong, they are wrong, and, and Lord, I need you to intervene here. You know they're wrong. In fact, there's more righteousness in that than taking revenge yourself. Psalm 134. This is a psalm of worship. Again, shifting gears here. This is a song sung in church, in the temple worship. It was a, a song of ascents, meaning people would have known this song, routinely sung on their way to the temple or walking up the temple steps. It's a song of the people of God coming together, saying... This is a song we don't sing at home on our, on our own or in the car or in the radio. This is a song we sing together, a prayer we pray together. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Baptist Church, I better read that one again. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion who made heaven and earth. This was a, a prayer they prayed together and said, this is a prayer we have in common. Recognition that we together need the Lord. Okay, a couple of other prayers, not from Psalms. One is the prayer of Jonah. The prayer of Jonah. <laughs> Excuse me. Just a couple of verses. It's a whole... Uh, prayer, but I'm just going to read Jonah 2.4. <clears throat> He's praying this prayer underwater, dying. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountain. He was so far underwater, he was hitting bottom. Why was he underwater? Because he's a sinner. God said, go left. He went right. And God saw fit to plunge him into the deep. The spot he was in was a direct result of his disobedience. And what did he say to the Lord? I'll look upon the holy temple. His prayer knew something of God, and he knew his God was greater than his sin. And even at his worst possible moment, caused by his worst possible sin, he said, I trust God. And he will deliver me. Okay, last prayer. It's a guy named Job. We won't tell the story of Job, but he had a bad stretch. God uh, took everything, his children, his money, his health, took everything from him. 
and he had some good friends come by and offer counsel. Anyway, Psalm, uh, Job 23, this is what Job prays. Today, also, my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that is the Lord, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with my arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? Job has been dealt with unjustly, he says. But unlike David praying about an enemy, who is Job praying about? This is Job's prayer. I would summarize it this way. God, come at me, bro. Let's get it on. You tell me where you are, I'm ready to go. I will fill my mouth with arguments to explain to you why you are wrong and I am right. Thankfully, God answered Job in Job 40. Let's read it. It's entertaining. The Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job said to the Lord, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, I won't answer again twice, but I will proceed no further. He realized that he was wrong. God answered Job's offer of silence, and God said this, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, we might say tornado. This is an F5 standing in front of Job, talking to him, and it's the, God says to him, Dress for action like a man. Your translation might be better than the ESV. Gird your loins, Job. I will question you and you will answer me. Will you put me to the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Say, why do I bring this up? We must notice something about God. He clearly made known to Job that his understanding of how God was working was wrong. God never corrected Job for telling God what he thought. Did you notice that? God did not come to Job and say, you shouldn't have prayed that. That was out of line. He said, I know what you prayed, because I already knew what was in your heart anyway. I need to correct what's going on in your heart. But God never came at Job and said, don't tell me what you're actually thinking. He said, Job, I know what you're thinking. Let me see you the truth of the matter. And at the end of the day, God saw it. These are the prayers we see in the Bible. Do you see a little more in the Bible of prayers that look like yours? Prayers of despair, prayers of hope, prayer of praise and thanks, and then also prayers of, God, where in the world you are? Where, where in the world are you? So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, just a couple of different ways to think about our power to stand. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse uh, 18. Power to stand, pray Today, This is our first idea on this. Power to stand, pray today. Look at a couple of phrases there in verse 18. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Also, a little bit later on, to that end, keep alert with perseverance. Pray with alertness and perseverance. What we would understand, for to have the power to stand, we must pray. We must pray today, which means we need to be praying each day, all the time, with perseverance. Pray today and don't quit. 
Seek the Lord and don't quit. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 11 to his disciples about perseverance in prayer. And he said this, if, if you had a friend who came to visit you in the middle of the night and you had no food to offer them, so you went to your next door neighbor and you knocked on the door and said, hey, can you give me some bread? I've had some unexpected visitors and your neighbor will say to you, I'm in bed. Knock it off. Go to Albertsons. Because they didn't have it. So you keep pounding on your neighbor's door and you say, tell you what, I'll stop knocking when you start bringing the bread. And your neighbor will, because of your insistence, finally bring you the bread. Say, here you go, get out of here. And Jesus says to his disciples, in this way you ought to pray, persistently to the Lord, without quitting. Keep going over and over again, so finally he will hear you, persistent in seeking the Lord in those things he has put on our heart. Jesus also told this parable in Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read it. There was a certain city where there was a judge who neither feared God or man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and said, give me justice. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Jesus says this, listen, will not God give justice to his who cry to him day and night? Will he delay in hearing their prayer? I tell you, justice will come to them speedily. This is verse 8 of Luke 18. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What was he talking about before he got to that sentence? Persistent prayer. And then he says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? What is he saying? When I return, will I find anybody praying? He says, when I return, will I find those who pray? Or will I find those who are absent in their prayers? He said, will you be persistent until even the return of the Son of Man to seek justice and righteousness through primarily prayer. You might be asking this question. I imagine you would if you're like me. You say, well, how in the world am I going to be motivated to be persistent in prayer? I'm going to give you the answer. Are you ready? Because some of us struggle in being persistent in prayer. Am I right? No? We're dismissed. <laughs> it's kind of the point of the whole message. Let me explain to you what it takes to be persistent in prayer, and it comes from Matthew chapter 5, here's what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Why are the poor in spirit going to get the kingdom of heaven? Because they're going to ask for it. Completely dead broke, they've got nothing on planet earth to speak of other than their, their heartbeat, and they know that's going to go away in a few minutes, and so they turn to the Lord and say, God, I got nothing. Would you do me a favor and give me the kingdom of heaven? Who has more? He says, the poor in spirit will get from the Lord the kingdom of heaven because they will do something those who aren't poor in the spirit would never think to do. Ask for the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn are comforted. Why are those comforted because they ask God for comfort. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Normally, how do you inherit the earth? Ask Alexander the Great. 
You conquer the earth. The meek will inherit the earth because they have no power, no strength, no influence, and they say, God, I've got an idea. How about you do it? Can I have the earth? And what does God say to the meek? Absolutely. How do we become motivated to be persistent in prayer? Become keenly aware of our weakness and dependency on the Lord. As long as we understand how much we need the Lord, we will be moved to seek the Lord in prayer. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2 Corinthians 11 said, If I will boast, I will boast in my, what? Weakness. Because he understood that's where the true power was. As long as he was weak, he would be found on his knees. So you're driving your car and you drive off a edge. A dealio, a thing. Where you go down, you don't get hurt. Your car is stuck, it's too steep to climb out. Stuck in the trees. I mean, not in the tops of it, that'd be weird. Driving pretty fast if that's where you are. You can't get out, car's stuck. What do you do? You yell. You hear people, the road's just right up there. What do you, hey, someone come get me. They may know I'm down here. And you'll keep yelling until somebody hears you, won't you? you won't, nobody left an instruction manual in the glove compartment saying, if you get stuck in a ravine, be sure to call out over and over again until somebody finds you. You, you will cry out because you have nothing else to do. If you don't cry out, you will die. This is what prayer is. A recognition, if I don't cry out, I'm a dead person. And in this, for this reason, in fact, prayer is extraordinarily impractical. The person is in the ravine, they're crying out for help, and they say, oh, it was wonderful because they heard me and I was saved. And what would you say to that person? You know what would be a better idea? Don't go down the ravine. Drive a little slower. Don't text and drive. Don't phone and drive. Don't fiddle with stuff on the dashboard. Keep your eye on the road. Hands at the two and the ten position, I think. Is that what you do? I use my knees and eat a Big Mac. It's... You can do that and text, varsity. See, that's what we would tell you. As soon as somebody tells them that they got themselves in one of these horrible predicaments, if God doesn't show up, I don't know what I'm going to do. What do we say to ourselves? They are so irresponsible. See, prayer is terribly, because we think in our modern culture that if you're in a situation where you need God to show up, there's something wrong with you. Whereas the entire scripture says the effectiveness of power of prayer is primarily hinged on our understanding that if God doesn't show up, we're toast. And the better we get an understanding of that, the better we will have an appreciation for our need to pray today, persistently, without quitting. Luke 23, one of my favorite prayers, a guy turns to Jesus and says this, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? Who was that guy? Thief on the cross. What options did he have? None. Either Jesus was who he said he was. He said, God, help me. And what did Jesus say to him? As long as you get some good works in, and as long as you obey, toe the line, attend church every week. Well, I mean, you got to do that, obviously. What did Jesus say? A one who has cried out to me in weakness, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Prayer is that thief. We make a mistake when we think our prayer is different than that thief. That's all prayer is that thief's prayer. God, help me. God, thank you for the help. God, I don't deserve it, but God, help me anyway. God, why is your help so slow? These are all prayers of one who is persistent to pray today. Power to stand, pray today, persistently and with great perseverance. Okay, next, let's look at another idea here. Think again about that car down in the ravine. You're stuck. You've got to call out for help. You've been there, right? Anybody been there? No? Okay, good. If you have, it's fun. So you start crying out, stuck in the ravine. Someone up there, please. The upholstery's ripped on the front seat. Could you call an upholsterer? Somebody help. I'm a little low on gas. Somebody help. I'm getting a little hungry. Maybe somebody could order some food and have it delivered. Wouldn't wouldn't we think that person is strange? That there's one thing you need in this moment. You need to get out of your predicament. Power to stand, pray the kingdom. What we pray about. This is the content of our prayer. How do we stand? We pray, but we pray persistently and we pray perseverantly, but what do we pray? Pray the kingdom. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6 again. Pray in the Spirit. Pray for all the saints. Pray that words will be given to me. These are all kingdom issues. John chapter 11, Lazarus died. John's good friend, Jesus' good friend Lazarus died. Um, his two sisters, Mary and Martha, Martha, were very upset. They were very upset because Jesus was late. Had he arrived a little bit earlier, he would have healed Lazarus, but now Lazarus was dead. He had been in the tomb four days, and so now by this time he stinketh in the King James. Jesus saw fit to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's amazing. Why did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? John chapter 12, we discover something interesting. Large crowds, this beginning of verse 9, large crowds had learned that Jesus was there, and they came not only on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 10, listen. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. But Jesus comforted Lazarus by saying, Lazarus, I would never raise you from the dead to have you killed by religious people. That part's not in your Bible. The chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is the last time Lazarus is mentioned in the Bible. How did Lazarus die? And he did die again. He wasn't raised out of the grave into a body incorruptible. He did, in fact, die again. I'll give you my guesses. And you may disagree with me. It's fine. You can be wrong. My guess would be that he was killed by religious leaders. They have a track record of doing this. I don't know if you know this, but they killed other important religious people in Christ Jesus. 
wouldn't put it past him to kill Lazarus, would, would you? If not, he would have died in, when the Rome, Romans invaded Jerusalem, where he was living. Bethel was very close to there, and he probably would have died then. He maybe lived a few more years, maybe a couple of decades. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Miracle of miracles, but certainly Jesus offers no comfort now that the chief priests are coming to... Uh, wouldn't this be amazing? You walk out of the tomb, you're like, wow, this is incredible. This is weird. I should write a book. And then Jesus said, oh, by the way, all the religious leaders are going to kill you. Oh, okay, but that's okay. You rose me from the dead, and you'll never let that happen, right? Jesus, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know if you understand. I'm not overly concerned about your physical death. I raised you from the dead, not because I was worried about you being dead. I raised you from the dead that they might know I am the Messiah. His work in Lazarus' life was geared towards what is the kingdom doing, not why did Lazarus have to die. Lazarus was raised from the dead, not merely because Jesus felt bad for Mary and Martha. Lazarus was raised from the dead that we might say, he's the Messiah, he is raised from the dead. The power to stand in prayer is when we finally let go of our own agendas and begin to pray fervently into the kingdom agenda. Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. When you pray, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Father, you're holy. Father, your kingdom come. What does it mean if God's kingdom comes? Yours is gone. God doesn't have a kingdom with your little kingdom. God, your kingdom come, which is a way of me saying my kingdom is worthless. God, give us today our daily bread. Just give me enough for today. Forgive me my sins and allow me, God, to forgive others who have sinned against me. Lord, do not lead me into temptation. Kingdom prayer is primarily concerned about my and your relationship with God that our kingdoms might die, that our sins might be, for, be forgiven, and we might not any longer walk in the sinful past. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, what happened? The veil in the temple was torn. And now, uh, in a way of showing all the people at that time, everyone now in Christ has access to the presence of God himself. And prayer is the means by which we experience the presence of God. We come into God's presence, we come into his temple, we come into his glory, and what do we ask for? We can ask for lots of things, and we ought to ask for what's on our heart, but we also need to seek God and say, Lord, change me that the primary agenda of my time with you is your kingdom. You did not tear the veil open so that I could go in and pray for silly little things that won't last a decade. We have the opportunity to go into the throne room of God and pursue Him to accomplish things that will last for eternity. The only reason we have access to pray to the Lord is because Christ died on the cross and atoned for all of our sin. And when we put our faith in Him, all of our sin is washed away. And because He is raised from the dead, we look forward to life with him forever. So we, our, our life with Christ through faith will endure forever. So we should say this, if you don't know the Lord, praying is a really good way to exhale creatively. There is no connection in prayer for those who aren't in Christ. 
To have a time in God in personal conversation requires the work of Christ cleansing me of all of my sin. When I come into the presence of God, do I want to pursue him in prayer for those things which are significant and those things that are lasting? Do I want to pray his kingdom? This is one of the reasons we do the things the way we do here on Sunday mornings. You realize, of course, that every song we sing is intended to be prayed. And when Seth and his team think about the songs that we're going to sing, the question is, can I pray this song as a kingdom prayer? If all I had were the words, could I sing this song? Could I say these words as a prayer that lifts my heart? Because singing has a way of unlocking the hardness of our hearts, doesn't it? Suddenly a melody will be going, and, and before our cold, dead hearts, which would have rejected the truth of that song, now as we sing it together, we say, oh, okay, I believe this. In our prayer, we seek to honor God both in worship as a body of believers as, and, and as individuals. Power to stand. Pray the kingdom. Can I ask you a couple of questions to think about your own prayer life in this regard? I'm going to anyway, so I shouldn't have asked. All right. I've asked this one before. It's worth thinking about. If God said yes to every prayer I've prayed this week, would anyone benefit besides me? If God today in this moment said yes to everything I've prayed for this week, would anyone benefit besides me? Here's another way of asking a similar question. If God said yes to every prayer I have prayed this week, would the results of those answered prayers last forever? God raised Lazarus. How long did that prayer last? At some point, Lazarus died. If we're going to take time to persevere in prayer, how about we emphasize praying things that will last into eternity? God, I pray my neighbor will come to Jesus. God, give me boldness to talk to my neighbor, to talk to my family member. God, I pray for my son, my daughter, my wife, my uncle, that they might overcome sin. I pray for salvation. We can pray that we overcome temptation. We can pray that we have strength in the Lord to endure difficulty. We can pray for one another that we persevere against injustice. We can pray for one another that we would have grace and forgiveness for one another. We can pray for the persecuted church around the world that they might endure under difficulty and worship the Lord through their suffering. We can pray that we and those around us might live lives of generosity. Power to stand. Pray the kingdom. All right, last one. Power to stand. Pray resolutely. Let me explain what I mean by this. A while ago, a movie came out called Crocodile Dundee. Who's seen it? Everybody's embarrassed. Whenever I ask who's seen the movie, who's raised it? All right, because when I do that, somebody's taking notes in the back. They're like, oh, really? They're not. Okay, one time, in one scene in the movie, it's a famous scene, a guy comes up to him and he's going to rob him. He's in New York, you know, an Australian in New York. He pulls, the guy goes, give me your wallet or whatever. And what's he say? Remember the line? You call that a knife? This is a knife. And then, of course, the would-be assailant runs away. Why did he have confidence? He had a bigger weapon than the guy running against him. Power to stand. Pray resolutely. We have confidence that we have the greatest spiritual weapon, prayer.
It can conquer any enemy by the power of God. Look again at Ephesians 6, a couple of phrases to draw out, to draw your attention to. Keep alert. That is, have confidence in your prayer. Pray at all times. That is, we do those things we have value. Pray uh, for Paul, who is an ambassador in chains, meaning he represents the kingdom of God in his ministry. Pray resolutely. Pray as one who has confidence in the power of God through prayer. Matthew 26, we see Jesus' disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying to the Lord in the day before his crucifixion, the evening before his crucifixion, Lord, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The disciples had an opportunity to watch and pray with Christ through the events, the events of the crucifixion, to engage with the Father, with Jesus himself, in and about the salvation of humankind. They didn't see the importance of it, and the result was they slept through it. They did not keep alert. They weren't praying at all times as an opportunity to engage with God in the most difficult of situations. A story from the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 30. You don't have to turn there, I'll just tell you the story. 1 Samuel chapter 30. David was living in the Philistine territory and the, he was going to go to war with the Philistines against Israel, but the Philistine generals dismissed David and his men, concerned that he would turn on them. David returns to his hometown of Ziklag. In their absence, their enemy had invaded their city taken all of their stuff, and kidnapped all of their families. The Bible makes it quite clear nobody was killed. The city was then burned. David's men then turned to David, and what do you think they said to him? They were mad. They didn't say much because they all had rocks in their hands. The Bible tells us that they were going to stone David to death because their families were gone. David was greatly distressed, verse 6 of 1 Samuel 30. And I'm sure he said it like that, I am greatly distressed. The people were bitter in soul. David has an army of 600 men, probably the 600 best warriors in the world. David is a man's man. He doesn't lose. He's well-equipped, well-armed, well-supplied, and motivated. What does he need to do? Come on, we're Americans. What does he need to do? He needs to go get it done. He needs to handle his business. A plus B equals C. Kidnap family, best military in the world. Let's go get them. They are going to write stories about the amazing rescue of David and his men. What does David do? David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? We need to understand something about David. David wasn't saying, hey, God, guess what? Got a great plan. I need a little Jesus juice on my plan so that we can hit this thing out the park. What is he going? What if God had said, actually, David, no, I want you to stay home. I'd put on a helmet. David would have stayed home. 
When David came to the Lord seeking the Lord's purposes, he was going to do what the Lord called him to do. He was going to the Lord and he was demonstrating to his men, I know I got the money, I know we got the weapons, I know we got the training, I know we got the skills. None of that matters if the Lord is not for us. David was more resolute in his prayerfulness than he was in his military training and skill. The Lord, in fact, told them to go overtake them, and they did rescue them. But we must understand what the Bible is doing here. It is contrasting David in this story with Saul, who earlier could not even wait 10 minutes for God to show up. And what we discover about David here is he's saying, it doesn't matter how much I have, it matters whether or not God is for me. It doesn't matter if I have what's needed to fix this. The question is, what is God up to in this moment? And I will do whatever God says. We read about this in the New Testament in James chapter 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we will, do, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Prayerlessness is arrogance. Prayerlessness is, I only need God a little. I'll provide most of these stuff. God just needs to push me over the edge. Prayerlessness is prideful arrogance that says, I know the best thing that needs to be done. I have the best stuff to get it done. And God, bless my brilliance. Power to stand. Pray resolutely for others into the kingdom, open to whatever God might do. Finally, and we'll close with this, God hears his children, but it's quite evident his primary concern is not that our prayers be answered, but the way we want them answered, his primary concern is that we would be like Jesus. In 1 Peter 3, 7, the Bible says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Just going to let that sit there, fellas. Live with your wives in an understanding way. So that you can watch football on Sundays? Maybe, I don't know if you're into that. So that your prayers might not be hindered. Look it up. I didn't write it. I wouldn't if I was writing it. What he is saying to us, he says, I am so concerned that in this one particular example that you are like Jesus. That if you're going to come to me with other things, God, I need A, B, C, and D. You know what? I agree with you. You need none of those things like you need to be like Jesus. And until such time that you and I are on the same page, that Jesus in us, in you, is the most important thing, I'm going to put those other things on the shelf. We'll get to those maybe. So he's not saying we can sin our way out of relationship with him. But if we think we can come to him and disregard ways in which we are not like Christ and ask him to give us other things that may in fact make us less like Christ, we're not on the same page that he is. God hears his children, but the Bible is quite clear. 
His number one priority is Christ-likeness, that we might sin no more and that we might be wholly obedient to him. Resolutely, we ought to pray that God's will would be done, that God's will would be done in God's way, and that God's holiness might be found in our hearts. Power to stand against the enemy. Pray today, pray the kingdom, and pray resolutely. One final question about prayer as a way of closing. Maybe you could ask, we could ask it this way. If your standing for God doesn't require the power of prayer, where are you standing? The Bible is quite clear. To stand for the Lord in the Lord's place will require the miraculous work of God answering our prayer. If we are able to stand for the Lord in our minds without miraculous answered prayer, we must ask, where am I standing? If I can do everything today for the Lord that I am doing without the Lord's help, I need to ask, am I really doing what the Lord would have me do? Because what the Bible is saying is to stand for the Lord in the things of the Lord, in the ways of the Lord, requires a miraculous power of Him working through our prayer. That one standing against the enemy will routinely find themselves on the floor saying, oh God, I need help again. If you want to be in that place in the Lord where you don't have to cry out to the Lord, well, there isn't that place. To stand for the Lord is to stand and simply cry out, Oh Lord, you must come through. I can tell you how to handle your business, God, but boy, you're going to have to come through quick. For standing before God doesn't require the power of prayer. We have to ask, where are we standing? Power to stand. Pray today. All times, keep alert with perseverance. Pray the kingdom in the spirit for the believers that words might be given of hope. And pray resolutely. Keep alert, praying at all times, especially for those who do the work of the Lord.